One of my favorite passages of Scripture is found in the book of 1 Samuel. It's actually within chapter 16 of that book. And it's the story where David is anointed the new king of the people of God. Do you remember this story? God has just rejected Saul because of his continued disobedience, his lack of dependence upon the Lord in leading the people of God. And he has sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to find a new king. And Jesse's got a lot of kids. And as Samuel comes, Jesse lines all but one son in front of the prophet in order to to see if one of them would be king. And for For a moment, Samuel thought he had found one that fit the bill. They were all young, strapping young men, looked like they had worked the land really hard, probably looked a lot like me. And um, (laughs) why is that funny? (laughs) And so uh, Samuel takes note of one in particular. His name is Eliab. And he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Surely it's this guy because he makes sense. But just as he thinks this to himself, the Lord brings a corrective rebuke to his mind. Because Samuel, the Bible tells us, is thinking only in a purely human way about who should lead God's people. The exact same kind of thinking, by the way, that led to Saul, who was disobedient to the Lord. God wants Samuel and his people to look at who should lead them with a different perspective. And so he tells Samuel in verse 7, Don't look on his appearance, the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Even though you would have chosen him, I'm choosing someone differently because the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And after looking at all the sons of Jesse that were presented to him, Samuel turns to the father and says, do you have another? And of course he did, but he didn't think the youngest, David, would be the one that Samuel wanted to see, but he was, after all, the one God had chosen. And God reminds us here that when others see a shepherd boy only, God may see something greater. When it comes to the area of godly leadership, God cares about things that sometimes we overlook. It was true in the time of David, the people said, hey, what we need most is physical stature. What we need is might the ability for someone to intimidate our our enemies and fight and defend us. They were looking only at physical qualifications. It's true in the time of 1 Corinthians. The people wanted a leader who was successful, comfortable, well-spoken, one who looked like he was already reigning with Jesus. They were looking at skill and privilege. But God doesn't look on the outward appearance the way that we do. He looks at the heart. This morning, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul seeks to correct a continued misunderstanding about godly leadership in the church at Corinth. Corinth, like the people of God before you, you are considering the wrong things, the wrong traits, attributes, qualifications, when you consider who is worthy to lead you, who is worthy of following. You're not valuing what God values. You're valuing what the world values. You're making their standard your standard. You need to adopt the standard of God. And Paul, by his words and his example, provides for them and for us what truly a picture of what truly godly leadership looks like. And here's what it looks like. Godly leaders 
faithfully steward the gospel, serve Christ, and care for the family of God. Godly leaders faithfully steward the gospel, serve Christ, and care for the family of God. Let's listen this morning at how Paul encourages the church in regards to godly leadership in 1 Corinthians 4. We're going to read all 21 verses. Here's what the word of God says. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human, human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, don't pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Already you have all you want, or so you say. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. Oh, and would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. Oh, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, you're strong. You're, you're held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Now, I don't write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? In 1 Corinthians 3, the chapter that we looked at last week together, we saw the wrong way to look at leaders. The church in Corinth, they were dividing over their leaders rather than seeing them as gifts meant to help the people of God unite under the banner of Christ. And so now Paul turns his argument in a positive way as he seeks to redefine how they and we should view the godly leaders that God has brought to us as the people of God for our good. Now, before we unpack 1 Corinthians 4, let me just say a word of reminder as to why this kind of word from Paul is good for all of us. Certainly, 
Those like myself who are in leadership positions in the church should see a a benefit, a blessing here as we consider our own qualifications, our own faithfulness before God as defined by the scriptures. But it's also good for us as a people to consider what truly godly leadership looks like so that we can set apart those who are truly godly to be leaders and so we can hold our leaders accountable to remain in godliness. We are a congregationally governed church, pastor elder led, congregationally governed, meaning that the church sets apart those whom they believe that God is calling out to lead them toward greater faithfulness to Christ. And it's important for us to make sure that we are valuing what God values because if we don't, we can begin to, to, to steer clear of God's standard and create our own, maybe one based on what the world values than, rather than what God values. So if you're a leader in any capacity, pastor, elder, for sure, this is written to those who are in leadership, Paul defending his apostolic leadership, but he also applies the, the leadership wisdom here to Apollos. It's certainly applicable to all of us who are in pastor elder roles this morning. But also if you're a Sunday school teacher, a Bible study leader, the leadership principles apply. Let's make sure that, that we are measuring ourselves by God's standard and that we are walking in the qualification that he has set forth. But also as a church, Let's make sure that we are valuing what really matters, that our values align with the values of God. So Paul offers three distinct traits of godly leaders for the church's benefit. Here they are. Godly leaders, oh, he says, verse one, this is how you are to consider. This is the way that you should regard the leaders in your church. Godly leaders are faithful stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Godly leaders are humble servants of Christ and his kingdom. And godly leaders are spiritual fathers to the family of God. They are stewards of the gospel, servants of Christ, and they care for the family of God. Let's, let's work through each of these traits to, to allow the Lord to show us why they are so important for the, the sake of his bride, the church. The first trait, godly leaders are called to be faithful stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the very beginning of this chapter, Paul's saying to the church, don't regard us the way that the world says you should regard us. Rather, you regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And, and make sure and see that we are striving to be faithful, found faithful as Stewards, two in particular traits are mentioned in this passage, this, this set of verses here. We're going to look at first the idea of faithful leaders being stewards, stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, faithful leaders are called to a stewardship of the people of God, but perhaps more importantly, they are called to be a, a steward of the message of God, the gospel of Christ. As Paul has already articulated, to this point in our study of the book of 1 Corinthians, the church has a single message that we must never waver from. Christ crucified. The wisdom of God that is found in the declaration of the cross, that is what we cling to above everything else as the people of God. And godly leaders hold fast to this message. And they hold fast to this message in such a way that it encourages the people of God to hold fast to this message. It's so easy for the church to get off track. 
and to feel like every time we come together, we got to deal with the hottest topic of the day. But friends, true godly leadership reminds us that the most important thing that we hold to get give thanks for, delight in, is what God has accomplished for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Leaders, godly leaders, are called out by God, gifted by God, according to chapter 2, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians, to impart spiritual truths given by the Spirit to spiritual people. By the way, that's why one of the chief defining characteristics of the office of pastor elder, when Paul writes about this in 1 Timothy 3, is the ability to teach. Let me just turn there for a minute. Paul instructing his son in the faith, helping him to know how to lead churches, to be organized, to set apart people who can lead the church into greater faithfulness, begins to list qualifications, ways that you can identify in someone that God is working in their life in such a way that he might be positioning them to lead his people. And here's what he says about those who are overseers or pastor elders, all the same word in the New Testament. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. It's a good thing. It's an important thing when the people of God, therefore, he says, an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and to a snare of the devil. So the vast majority of these qualifications are character related, above reproach, faithful in marriage, sober-minded, self-control, respectable, hospitable, among other things. How a person behaves in light of the gospel. But there is a a clear distinction and qualification from pastor elder to even that of deacons. And that is the ability to teach. Does this person have the kind of wisdom, the kind of grasp on the gospel that has shown up not only in his life, but it can be translated among the people of God for it to show up in theirs. Pastor elders have to be able to teach They need to be able to rightly divide the word of God, unfold the mysteries of God as revealed in scripture, as as revealed in Christ, in such a way that the people of God are spurred on, stirred up to greater faithfulness and maturity. Paul has a primary responsibility to declare and teach the gospel, to steward it in such a way that the people of God want to also declare and preach and teach the gospel. And Paul acknowledges that he will have to give an account to the Lord one day for how he has stewarded the message of the gospel, this responsibility. He speaks about it here at the beginning of chapter four and also earlier in chapter three and verses 11 to 15. We read those verses last week. One day, God, God will ask, will judge Paul about how he stewarded the role that he was called to, 
Did Paul seek to use his own charisma and prowess to draw people and hold them together as the, the wise sayers or the sophists of this day did? Or did Paul rest in the power of the gospel and trust in the promise of Christ that he and he alone will build his church? Because the answer to these questions will become evident on the day of the Lord as God reveals the worth of his work and every single person that has stepped into a role of leadership, the worth of our work will be shown, evidenced in the judgment of God. God will hold all of us accountable as to how we stewarded the message of God among the people of God, among the nations. Having been saved by the message of the cross, Paul believes it is his calling to proclaim and steward the message of the cross. And all godly leaders should feel the same. The second trait Paul mentions here. Godly leaders are not, all, are not only stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are humble servants of Christ and his kingdom. The second trait that Paul mentions in verse 1. And Paul develops this idea of being a servant over the next several verses. Paul has been entrusted with a message and he must be faithful to declare that message because it's what his king Jesus wants him to do. And while it is true that all of us who follow Jesus are servants of Christ, godly leaders are positioned in such a way that they help us know what faithful service looks like. They're called not only to declare the message of the cross, but they are called to live out the theology of the cross. I want to focus here just for a minute on the image that Paul uses in verses 8 to 13 of his, his writing here. Wherein he builds this idea of being a humble servant of Christ to kind of attack the pride that has taken root in the heart of the Corinthian people. There seems to be in Corinth at this time an overrealized eschatology. Have you heard that word before, eschatology? Turn to your neighbor and say eschatology. All that means is their belief about the end times, about what's going to happen when Christ returns. Okay, so you can use that word at a dinner party and impress all of your friends. All right, so there's an overrealized, though, eschatology. And here's what I mean by that. There are some Christians in the church who believe that because Jesus has ascended and the Holy Spirit has descended, that Christians now have already stepped fully into the promises of God, that heaven has literally already happened on earth. Now, the difficulty here is that there's an element of that that is kind of true. We hold to an already not yet understanding of the kingdom of God, right? That after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we begin to have taste, foretaste of everything that God promises us in his kingdom. As a, an echo into eternity of what we can expect when we, when we join the Lord in glory. But we also recognize and affirm that everything has not already happened in the sense that there are still things left to be done. We won't be able to fully experience the promises of God until Jesus takes us home. Already, not yet. The problem here is they have way too much already and not enough, not yet. And so they can't understand how they're suffering. They can't understand difficulty. They can't understand why someone like Paul 
would experience some of the things that he's experiencing to the point where they are questioning his apostolic office. If we are reigning with Christ already, they say, then how is it that Paul is experiencing so much difficulty? How is he showing so much weakness if we have true spiritual power? It doesn't seem like Paul is living in the full promises of God. It actually seems like Paul's under his judgment. So Paul directly addresses these false notions, almost mocking them in verse eight. He says things like this, already you have all that you want. That's what they're saying. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And I wish that it was true. I wish that we were reigning with Christ so that we could join in with you. But while it's partly true that you're experiencing some of that now, it is not fully realized yet. In fact, I'm suffering in obedience to Christ in order to lead others to Christ as his servant. Paul says it's as if that God has made me, the other apostles, a spectacle to the world, to the angels, to men for your benefit and for the benefit of the world to show his singular goodness and worth in this age so that as many people as possible can join us in worship of King Jesus and be ready to join us in his kingdom when he returns. Church in Corinth, suffering is not a sign of disobedience or a lack of God's favor. It's part of living in in between the two advents of Christ and the already not yet And God is allowing you to see me, a servant, in chains. Like a a slave being pulled behind a triumphant king. That's the the image he uses in verse 9. At this time, when, when kings or leaders would go out and they would conquer a land, they would come back into their home with huge parades. And they would, they would celebrate by showing all the goods they had taken in. And they would have a parade of, of servants and slaves behind them from conquered lands. And Paul says, it's as if I'm, I'm coming behind the victorious King Jesus as a slave and a servant to him. But I'm not doing it in a bemoaning way. I'm excited and thrilled that I get to join him in service, but also in victory. It's just that, that that victory, although complete in one way, still has an element that is waiting for its full realization at the return of Christ. And it's for your good that you see me this way. To remind you that suffering will come in this life. And that doesn't mean that God is not faithful. He is faithful. It's a call to endure. To trust in what God has actually promised. So that you can lead others to Christ as well. Our way of life must match the message of the cross, Christ crucified. Paul wants them to consider and us to consider. Are we willing to live the crucified life? Are we only with Jesus because of the comfort of Christ? Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of the gospel? Godly leaders always call us back to service to the cross. Service to Jesus. Don't boast in leaders who promise you what you want apart from Christ and therefore build your pride. You serve Christ and walk in humility for the sake of the nations. I was thinking earlier this morning about Paul's continued example to the church then and to us today. And in particular, some, some things he wrote in the first chapter of the book of Philippians. You remember he's in jail writing to the church in Philippi. And he he tells them, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually 
serve to advance the gospel. And remember, he's in jail, right? But here's how he encourages them. He says, I'm, I'm in jail, but here's how the gospel is advancing. Every single person in this prison knows why I'm here. They know why I'm in chains. I'm not, a, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. And then not only that, the church has heard about my boldness and the work of the gospel in the prison. And they're saying things like, well, if, if Paul is willing to be that bold and obedient in prison, then what's my excuse for not being faithful in freedom? That's what we need in godly leadership. Brothers who challenge us to serve even when it's costly. And that's what Paul is doing here. And then trait three. Godly leaders are spiritual fathers for the family of God. And Paul develops this trait in verses 14 to 21 of our text. And I love the pastoral heart that Paul exhibits here. He's been tough on the church. And rightfully so. They've, they've done some pretty remarkably bad things. And listen, we're just touching the tip of the iceberg as we keep going in 1 Corinthians. Uh, anything you can imagine going wrong in a church is going wrong in Corinth, right? He's got every right to be tough on the church here, but he wants them to remember his heart for them, which is the whole reason why he even cares enough to write to them. He says, I'm not, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to correct these wrong beliefs for your benefit so that you can be faithful. I feel like a paternal responsibility for you. You know, fathers have a really important role in our lives by design. Our earthly fathers are, are gifts from God that are meant to teach us about our heavenly father. So when we as earthly fathers do things right, the hope is that our children will know more about our heavenly father. But while it is true that God has given us earthly fathers, he's also given us spiritual fathers, godly men whom he's called out from among our midst to lead us into greater faithfulness as the children of God, to help and care for and oversee the household, the family of God. And Paul says that these spiritual fathers have a similar function to our earthly fathers. They are, they are worthy of imitation, verse 16. They just don't teach the gospel. They live out the gospel as servants of Christ with the purpose of setting an example, a, a personable example, a, a fleshly example where you can get close and you can see how the gospel is meant to take root in our lives and, and be exhibited in the course of what we do as followers of Jesus throughout the, the week. That's why character matters, by the way. If we're to follow them as they follow Christ, if they are worthy of imitation, their character matters. Again, we mentioned the, the calling in 1 Timothy to be able to teach, and that's one qualification of, of a dozen others. But oftentimes, the failure in the church is that we only consider the ability to teach and not the character issue. So let me ask you this. When you, when you are considering putting someone in a position of pastor elder in the church, when you're considering someone to, to follow as a godly leader, do they look like Jesus? And if you were to follow them, would it help you look more like Jesus? Those are important questions that we should ask as followers of Christ and as members of the church. So spiritual fathers are worthy of imitation. Spiritual fathers are concerned with the well-being of their family. Verse 17 
They provide for the well-being of the family of God. That's what Paul does here by sending them Timothy. When when a, a parent sees a child doing something that could lead to their harm, they want to step in to help them not making a mistake, to help them walk in wisdom. My, my earthly father has certainly done that. This week we were hanging a light and he was checking electricity to see if the electricity was on. And I said, hey, do you want this ladder? And he says, no, it's aluminum. I don't want an aluminum ladder while I'm checking to see if electricity's on. Because if you do that, you're going to get shocked. That's a gift of an earthly father. And spiritual fathers function in a similar way. When, when we see things that could lead to your destruction, that could lead you away from faithfulness to Christ, we want to speak in because we're concerned with your well-being. Spiritual fathers are also responsible for discipline and correction. Some strong language here in verses 18 to 21. There are some who who are casting doubt on the apostolic authority of Paul who are saying, oh, Paul's not gonna come. He's just sending empty threats. Look, he even sent Timothy. And Paul's like, nope. I'm going to come. I sent Timothy to help you until I can come, but I'm going to come and then we're going to figure out who actually is of the Lord. I'll see what kind of power they're actually working with when you compare the power that God has entrusted to me as an apostle of Christ. So the question you need to ask yourself is, how do you want me to come? You want me to come with a rod? Or do you want me to come in love with a spirit of gentleness? Because I want to come in gentleness. I want to come in love. But if you don't repent, I will come with a rod for your good. I will do this because of the love that I have for you. He knows them. He knows what they need. And more than that, he will give an account one day before the Lord of how he cared for this people as all fathers will. Listen, Every father in this room, every husband in this room will give an account to the Lord for how we stewarded the household that God entrusted under our care. And in the same way, spiritual fathers will give an account for how they led the family of God. That's an important responsibility. It's a task we should not take lightly because God cares about his his temple. He cares about his people. And he said last week, if you destroy God's temple, God will destroy you. He cares about you. And godly leadership is an evidence of his care for you. Paul wants to father well as a servant of Christ and a steward, not only of the gospel, but also of the people of God. And what a picture of godly leadership that Paul paints for us here. Truly godly leaders are stewards, servants, fathers. They hold fast to the message of Christ. They serve his kingdom and care for God's family. And I hope that our prayer is may their number increase. We need to raise up more godly leaders to guide and help the church until the day that Jesus returns. And this is a great need, locally and globally. So let's think about some ways that we can respond to to Paul's words here to help keep and raise up godly leaders for our own good and for the sake of gospel advancement. So let's think about some some responses. I want to first speak to the church. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, firstly, can we give thanks for the godly leaders that God has used in our lives? And we give thanks to God Because godly leaders are gifts from God. 
Who are your spiritual fathers? Who are your spiritual parents, influences, faithful pastors, older brothers or sisters in the faith that you could give thanks to the Lord for this morning? I know for me, Stephen Trammell is my pastor in college in, in Baton Rouge. He took me with him in Houston to Champion Forest Baptist Church. And even to this day, he's a phone call away. Anything I need, he's there to give spiritual encouragement, wisdom, discernment. The Lord has done so much work in my life as a follower of Jesus and a pastor as a direct result of Stephen's ministry in my life. Who's that for you? Would you give thanks for them to the Lord? And let me, let me press it a little bit further. Would you tell them thank you if you're able? Some people probably are already in glory getting the inheritance that, that Christ has promised. But if they are alive, would you consider this week sending them a note or giving them a phone call? Especially if they're still active in ministry. Because listen, many pastors are experiencing burnout today. It's, it's an epidemic almost. The expectations of pastoring in a deeply divided time are leading many, many, many pastors to quit. And who knows what a word of encouragement from you would do to help sustain them, how the Lord would use that to spur them on to another week, to hang on for another month, to hang on for another year. Because we need godly leaders to stay in the fight, to help lead for the sake of the gospel. So let's give thanks to godly leaders, for, to the Lord, for how he has used them in our life. Secondly, would you pray for the godly leaders who serve this church and follow them as they follow Christ. Let's get specific to our church here, Bayleaf Baptist Church. Aren't we blessed with some godly men who serve in the roles of pastor elder at our church? I have so many, one of the joys, the great blessings of coming to serve you here at Bayleaf Baptist Church as your senior pastor is to work alongside these men that we have serving in pastoral roles. The whole team that we have overseeing the, the ministry of our church, we are indeed blessed. And so because of the blessing that we have here, of the godly people we have in leadership at our church, let me just ask you a couple of ways to think about them. Number one, would you pray for them? Pray, pray for us. The enemy's on the prowl, right? And the enemy would like nothing more than to have one of us disqualified in such a way that it does leave awake, in such a way that it harms the advancement of the gospel rather than advances it. So pray for us that we would remain vigilant, that we would remain encouraged, that we would remain committed to the word of God, stewards of it, servants of Christ, and, and that we would have the love of a father for you as the people of God, to want to, to serve and minister and encourage. Those are important prayers that we need as your leaders. So pray for us. Would you follow us? It's part of leadership, right? Is leaders, followers together for Christ. So long as we are following Jesus, would you follow us? That's, that's why you placed us in the positions that you've placed us. It was your choice, your, your decision before the Lord to appoint us as pastor elders in this church. So as long as we're following Jesus and we're, we're prayerfully seeking the Lord, would you follow us? Now listen, we may not always agree. 
But I hope that as long as we before the Lord are trying with integrity to seek to please the Lord above everything else, that we can, we can work in unity for the sake of the gospel. So would you follow? And then thirdly, would you listen? This is kind of a challenge. You know, I heard it once said that Christians today want a lawyer more than a pastor. Meaning they just advocate for things they already believe rather than addressing sometimes sin in our lives. And 1 Corinthians 4 is a little uncomfortable, if we're being honest, right? Nobody likes to have the pastor call you into their office or over a, a meal together and address some things, some places in your life where maybe you're not walking in faithfulness. But I hope all of us know that we need those things. There are times where we've got spiritual blind spots in our life. And one of the gifts of pastors and shepherds who love you is that maybe they see something and maybe they want to speak into your life something that will help you walk in greater faithfulness. Would you listen? Would you listen? And consider before the Lord, consider before his word, which is our ultimate authority, whether or not it would be a beneficial, helpful thing to embrace what has been spoken for the sake of your walk with Christ. So pray for and follow the godly leaders who are here. Thirdly, as a church, let's commit to raising up godly leaders. We have a stewardship responsibility, Bayleaf Baptist Church, that we must remain committed to. Until Jesus returns, we will need to raise up new, faithful, godly leaders, not only to serve this body of believers. And listen, we'll need more as we think about, as we think about moving to Creedmoor Road. We'll need more godly leaders in our, our church to help accomplish the ministry God's entrusted to us, both at this campus and the new campus. But also for the sake of the kingdom. There are many churches in the state of North Carolina today that gathered without a pastor to lead them or teach them or care for them. There are many churches across the United States that do not have a pastor, a qualified man to step up and teach the word of God. There, there's that, that same thing is true all over the world. And listen, we are uniquely positioned church. We've got a seminary right up the road for us from us where People who feel called by the Lord to serve as pastors or missionaries or, or leaders in the church are moving to our area. Would we be the kind of church to give them an opportunity to learn, to grow, and then to be sent? I hope that we would. I hope that we would put our resources behind this and, and give men the opportunity to come and preach the word of God. Uh, men and women called to the mission field to come and sit under people in our, our church who have actually been on the mission field to learn that what, what could happen when you're overseas and that we would help them in any way we can to go for the sake of the gospel. And listen, that we would be the kind of church it's a joy to serve. So that it would encourage them to go out and to lead other churches to faithfulness as well. Let's remain committed to that. And finally, would you use your area of leadership, even outside the church, for the glory of God? And this is where the leadership principles here can have an application to the whole of leadership, every place of influence. The reality is that all of us have a place where we have influence that we can leverage for the glory of God in our homes, our workplaces, our communities, 
Will we lead in a set-apart way that opens opportunities for the gospel, that shows why it's better to serve Christ than to serve man, and brings them, directs their attention to our Heavenly Father who has loved them in Christ? Oh, that we would be the kind of leaders in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, that would be so distinguished and set apart that it would open up an opportunity for the gospel to say, why are you different? Why are you more concerned about the well-being of others than your own well-being, your own personal advancement? For you to be able to say, well, that's because of the, the Lord that I serve. It's because of the example of Jesus. And I want to lead in every part of my life as he leads and cares for me. And let me say a final word to those in the room who are not followers of Jesus. Maybe somebody here or watching online would say that, Jared, I don't know that I'm a follower of Christ. I've never repented of my sin and believed in Jesus unto salvation. Well, this morning, would you consider the testimony of Paul, this message of the cross that he committed himself to? Christ crucified. Jesus died for us so that we could live. And Paul was willing to suffer endure all kinds of difficulties to help as many people as possible know the love with which God loved them in Christ. So would you hear that message today and respond? Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.